everyone, and welcome to this week's On the Spot. I'm Zach Strickland, here with, as always, John Paul Hampstead, our Director of Passport Research here at Freightways. Uh, today, we're going to talk about what we're seeing in the market this week. And of course, John Paul, you have some pretty interesting stuff that you guys have actually been working on. Uh, a little bit of a connection between consumer spending and the freight market. What do you got? Yeah, um, well, this is actually something that Seth Holm, um, one of our senior research analysts, is working on, um, looking at Bank of America Merrill Lynch credit card spending data and possible correlations to, you know, truckload volumes. Um, and he found that there is a fairly weak correlation, like on, you know, date, you know, same day to same day. But I think that if you um, sort of push out the truckload volumes by about five days, then it, they track much much closely together. So and, and that makes sense. I mean, when you're talking about consumer spending, they're you know they're going to kind of react to the amount yeah. of freight. You know, they're going to start pushing freight through the uh, system. You know, in response to you know people going out to Target and buying a bunch of uh, goods. But one really interesting thing that we saw um, was that sort of, sort of the trajectory of consumer spending. Um, it fell off really hard um, in the at the end of March, sort of right when um, truckload volumes were peaking. Truckload volumes peaked around uh, March 23rd. That's right when uh, the uh, consumer spending data started to fall off, and then it, it bottomed again on. Um, April 14th, and it looks like, so far at least, that outbound tender volumes bottomed two days later on April 16th, and both have been coming back up since then. Um, so that's really interesting, and now we're, we're getting um, sort of back to equilibrium, um, at least on Bank of America Merrill Lynch credit card spending data. Which is fascinating, too, because our outbound tender volume index appears to also be heading towards where it was uh, prior to the outbreak. I think we're sitting right around 9,800 right now on the outbound tender volume index, which is roughly where we were uh, in February 27th yeah. before you know the mass pandemic and all the panic buying really started. Yeah, that's what, that's what brokers um, uh, have been telling me. They, they said it feels like February, um, which is horrible because in a way because it's, it's May it's May <laughs> and it shouldn't feel like February but you know it doesn't feel like um, you know their business it, it doesn't feel like uh, the apocalypse like everything is dying and drying up um, right. at least at least to some brokers um, and again it really depends on your book of business um, what lanes you're running and that sort of thing but uh, yeah like like that and the other thing I think about OTVI and OTVIY, the year-over-year -year growth um, in outbound tender volumes, is that at this time in 2019, it's a pretty weak uh, comparison. There was a, it was it was a soft uh, soft April and a soft May. It was a um, very soft May, and I remember the volumes dropped off about seven to eight percent. Uh, in a matter of a week after the, you know, it seemed to coincide with, you know, President Trump making the announcement about the trade war and that escalating, et cetera. I don't know if that was the real connection, the real reason why, but it looked like shippers just took a pause yeah. uh, in the middle of May, and we really didn't have that strong peak pressure that we saw the year before. Of course, 2018 
one of the strongest freight markets in recent times. But for whatever reason, in May of last year, we had this big trough in the middle of May, and it took a while for those volumes to recover, and they never really, uh, you know, actualized the peak that we would normally expect in June. So I think the takeaway here is that even though the about tender volumes are, you know, apparently positive year over year, they're not really at what we would consider like healthy or like normal levels. Right. Uh, I, I wouldn't say that they're like growing compared to last year. It's just that there's a weird soft period right now in the data. Um, you know, in another month or two, I think that'll become more obvious. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the volumes right now, of course, they're on a steady track of growth, though, where we were seeing this kind of stair-step effect uh, for the last couple of weeks, you know, kind of like, are we really going to grow? Are we, you know, hovering still about 10%, 7 to 10% below year-over-year levels, uh, end of April, early May, and now this week, really, we have seen a tremendous pattern change in terms of almost a linear growth uh, for the last four days. In, in yeah, I mean, um, I think a lot of that, you know, Texas is coming back online or has come back online sort of definitively. Um, the reports have been, uh, at least in the media, which, are, you know, it's anecdotal, but it looks like there's that people are out and about in Texas for better or worse, um, going to businesses, going to restaurants, spending money, things like that. I mean, I, I think one of the things Anthony and I discussed, uh, you know, on Freightonomics is this Unemployment levels, you know, being super high, and that's one of the, you know, my arguments with Craig on our great debate uh, over a week ago now, was that how can you have these this type of unemployment levels? Well, it looks like, at least on the surface, and according to your credit card data, uh, that that may be a little bit of a misguided stat to go by, at least in the near term, because people are spending money, as you said in your in your credit card. Yeah, there are two there are two ways to think about this, or, or two ways that you know this time might be different, which is always a dangerous phrase to invoke. But um, one of them is simply that right now unemployment benefits are much more generous than they have been before. So um, people have a lot more money. Uh, the federal government extended those benefits by six hundred dollars a week. Um, which, you know, adds up, you know, it, it can be substantial, um, especially compared to what unemployment benefits were prior to that. So um, the unemployment, at least in the short term, at least for the first four months that those benefits are extended, um, shouldn't it take, you know, shouldn't um, make that much of a hit to consumer spending or as much of a hit as they normally would. The second one that, that I, I'm kind of curious about, and I don't really have a good sense of this, but, you know, American consumers have a typically low savings rate um, compared to other developed countries, especially countries like China or, or Japan or, or Germany. Um, and I wonder, just like, you know, we hear about um, the, the rising cost of, of sort of middle class lifestyles. Now, I just wonder, like, how you know, even if um, a middle class household in the United States is anxious about the future or concerned about the future, how much can they actually pull back their spending? How much how much slack do they actually have in their budgets to say like, oh, like, you know, okay, we're not going to. Um, you know, buy the normal things that we buy or, or, or things like that. You know what I mean? How much is actually discretionary in the United States versus sort of like just a baseline lifestyle that most people 
consider, you know, to be sort of um, whether they're entitled to, whether that's just w what they demand. Yeah, I, I, there's a psychology here for sure uh, that we're kind of ignoring right now with consumer spending. Now, obviously, the consumer is really influential on the on the economy of the United States. Seventy percent of GDP uh, on the consumer spending side. And so a lot of the freight patterns, even though they may not directly be servicing the consumer, a lot of the endpoints are with consumers or consumption. All that retail spending, all those goods that they're, you know, end products, cars, houses, construction, all of that is driven to serve the consumer in some regard. And we have just come out of a period of one of the most lengthy and strong economic periods in our history. Right. Uh, 2009, 2010, obviously the last great recession and the last, you know, real uh, negative growth period driven by the financial crisis and the housing uh, industry, et cetera. But the, you know, we haven't had this period of growth. So a lot of the consumers in the market have been just spending for years now. And it's going to take a while. And I, Seth Holm and I have had this discussion. It's going to take a lot to break that consumer. And now that they have... I see you're saying like habits have yeah, been formed. And, and, and they have been conditioned into this spending now. And they just expect for things to go well. Like they haven't really... A lot of people, especially some of the younger generation, hasn't had that experience of... Uh, you know, having to save money and really having to think forward into the future. Not that they all do that, but you know, this being said, it's going to be, you know, if they're getting extra money and I've heard plenty of anecdotal stories about people actually refusing to go back to work because they're doing so well, not working right now. Right. Which, which I think is a double-edged sword on the one <laughs> hand. I mean, I've heard a lot of people say that that's like a horrible, you know, like, you know, sort of moral hazard and like bad, perverse incentive that's hurting the economy. On the other hand, like the whole point of raising the unemployment um, benefits was so that people could be at home and not go to work. Yeah. So it, it, to me, it kind of, it, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> that's sort of the point, right? Um, you, like if we want people, we don't, the, the point of, uh, you know, shutting down workplaces, raising the unemployment benefit is so that people don't have to go to work to be able to feed themselves and because be they're safe. safer at home. Yeah. But they're actually, they've improved their quality of life to an extent now. Yeah. And, well. and so all they're going to do is sit around and be bored and now spend money. And again, this is a very nearsighted thing if somebody is actually rejecting work to go sit at home because what's going to happen is a lot of these people that go back to work in the early phases are going to gobble up the jobs and to expect that your job is going to be sitting there waiting on you in six months if you don't do anything between now and then when the unemployment benefits run out right. it's pretty naive right. and, and a very uh, the other way. The other last dimension of consumer spending I would just want to mention briefly that we haven't worked on but um, and I don't even know if the data is this granular but I wonder to what extent consumer spending is politicized at all or, or um, determined by political divisions. Because I, we know that attitudes toward the severity of the coronavirus and appropriate policy responses to the coronavirus, attitudes for those are, are politicized, right? Like um, the, more, the deeper blue a, a region is or... or um, a jurisdiction is, you know, the the, the more um, people tend to um, think that the virus is going to be very severe, that they tend to take the health risks you know, like 
quite seriously to be more afraid. You know, you think about places like San Francisco and New York City, well, for example. Of course, um, those are going to be your population centers. They're going to be a lot denser population. But San Francisco anyway. hasn't had uh, it hasn't even been as bad there as as other cities in the U.S. Um, well, it sounds like you may need to jump in on some passport research. I, yeah, I just wonder, like, I wonder, basically I wonder, like, if you are more afraid of the outbreak, do you, are you more cautious in your spending? If you're less afraid of the outbreak, are you more, uh, are you less cautious in your spending? I don't know. It I sounds wonder. like a psychological experiment. So let's, yeah. we only got a few minutes left. Let's dive into the freight market real quick and see what we're seeing, uh, right. you know, across the country. Of course, we talked about outbound volumes. They're on the rise and they're rising significantly. We're back to where we were in February. Yeah, it distributed is having, across a bunch of different markets. And it, that's that's exactly right. It's spread out. It's not just in one area of the country. We're talking about your West Coast volumes are really spiking right now. Um, anecdotally speaking, I've heard of people actually uh, you know, seeing spot market heat back up in certain isolated pockets, especially in LA uh, and those areas. But also our tender rejection rate out there on the West Coast has started to really take, take right. off. Uh, national tender rejection rates, of course, have jumped up over 3% in the last week, and they're on the rise, but a lot of that's driven by reefer. Reefer rejection rates, uh, this time of year, of course, this is what you right. would expect. So like Florida, for example, yeah, it keeps tightening week over week. Exactly, but volumes all over the country are on the rise. It's not just like, right. you know, we're still below that inflection point where we're going to see tremendous spot market activity. Right, it's L.A., but it's also Ontario, it's Elizabeth, New Jersey, it's, you know, even like Houston, Dallas, places like that. Yeah. So we are seeing elevated, I guess the volumes are increasing more significantly around the port cities, which makes sense. The big question moving forward, however, is we saw a huge amount of customs uh, come into the country at, at the end of April and early May. It looks like somewhat of a correction or you know, yeah. making up for lost time as all these orders were made six weeks ago, six to eight weeks ago, they had to hit the, they took them a while to hit the country, uh, loading up, you know, replenishment orders, et cetera. So we, we're a little concerned that this may be a false signal in terms of- It's like a temporary wave passing through. Yeah, just a temporary wave, which again is concerning, but it could be masked a little bit by increasing seasonality, increasing volumes. And like you said, consumer spending is, is coming back. It's, it's, people have started to feel better. Right. We're not, we're not in year over year growth territory yet, but it's, it's like moving in the right direction. I yeah. mean, it's regained a lot of, of what's been lost. Um, like, and, and especially what I'm talking about is like retail excluding automotive right, right. and excluding you know, certain kinds of travel. Yeah. That industrial sector still hasn't quite turned the engine just yet, but you know, you have to anticipate they're going to start turning things over. Well, uh, you know, thank you so much, JP. Uh, thank you for watching this week's On the Spot. And be sure to check out FreightWaves.com for any further freight updates. Thanks for watching. Have a good weekend.